By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Long-awaited increases in interest rates are lifting up bank profits, but for how long? Central banks are ratcheting up interest rates across the globe in an effort to counter inflation levels that are at multi-decades highs. But these moves are contributing to a slowdown of the global economy, which is grappling with several cross-currents, most notably the Russia-Ukraine crisis, energy costs, supply chain issues, and the lingering effects of the pandemic. Today we ask, how will banks navigate the storm ahead, and how will economic turbulence affect their credit strength? I'm your host, Jennifer Wong, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture, where we answer the big questions facing credit markets. I'm joined today by two of my colleagues here at Moody's Investor Service with decades of experience analyzing banks. First, I'm pleased to welcome Alan Tischler of Moody's Investor Services Financial Institutions Group. And I'm also happy to be joined by Jorge Rodriguez Vales of the Credit Strategy and Research Group in London who focuses on financial analysis and stress testing of global banks. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to be here. Jorge, I'd like to start with you. Can you set the scene for us on the macro picture and what it means for banks? When it comes to the macro environment uh, for, for banks, I think at the moment that macro environment is probably defined by uh, three main factors. Uh, obviously, none of them are uh, alien to our listeners, probably. Um, we are probably talking about inflation, uh, tightening monetary policy, and, and finally slowdown slash recession in some countries. Um, I would say those are the three main factors that are driving uh, performance of banks uh, at the moment. And when you say monetary policy tightening, you mean rising interest rates, right? Yeah, of course, it's a trend that we have seen for some time now. Basically, in all advanced economies, are tightening monetary policy, and and we expect that trend to to continue. And Alan, this increase in interest rates isn't that what banks have been waiting for? Isn't this positive for banks? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and as Jorge said, you know, the the, the response um, by authorities to the inflation is is the interest rate increases that we're seeing, and absolutely. Banks um, are benefiting at the moment, and we anticipated sort of that, that initial boost. Uh, so uh, right now, what we've seen, and, and U.S. banks, where I'm focused, reported their third quarter results uh, over the last week or so. Uh, we've seen significant rises in net interest margins, uh, and depending on the bank, um, you know, as as much as over 40 basis points just in the third quarter relative to the previous quarter. Uh, and I looked at some of the large banks that reported, as I said, over the last week, uh, and on a medium basis for the largest U.S. banks, including the large regionals, in the quarter alone, net interest margins went up about 24 basis points and uh, about 38 basis points uh, year over year. Uh, and that's quite significant because net interest income accounts for the majority of revenue for a typical U.S. bank. So you mentioned the uh, the quarterly earnings. Uh, what other trends besides the uh, increase in net interest margins are we seeing? Well, that's the positive. <laughs> and the challenge, of course, is given everything Jorge laid out, uh, there's definitely more caution around the outlook. So we are seeing increases in reserves, reserve building. We have not yet seen actual deterioration yet, except at the margin uh, in asset quality. 
uh, but the building reserves are in anticipation uh, that that asset quality will weaken going forward. So we're getting the positive up front, the, the rate rises boosting net interest income, but there's certainly challenges uh, going forward. I think when it comes to net interest margins, um, from from a broader perspective, global perspective, at least in, in advanced economies, I, I think we, we we have to be a bit cautious also when it comes to the potential impact of rising interest rates on net interest margins. Because obviously, when, when interest rates go up, this is affecting banks in two different ways. One is on the asset side, but the other is on the liability side, is in terms of the funding. And... I appreciate why the, the reasons why American banks are particularly well prepared to benefit from an increase in interest rates because they have a huge, significant uh, deposit funding compared to other banks where the funding is more market focused. But at the same time, we need to consider that in 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 globally, the improvement in net interest margins that we are seeing so far in, in, in 2022 is not probably as significant as in American banks. Very recently, we published some research. Where we were, uh, we were using a sample of around 80 banks in 18 different banking systems, and until Q2 data, and, and of course with Q3 they had they may, might have been some changes, but with Q3 data, all the increase that we have seen in net interest margins was just 14 basis points. Um, so I think we need to strike a bit of a note of caution because maybe not all banks globally are going to benefit that much uh, from from rising interest rates. All right, you make a great point. The, the U.S. banks in particular have very strong core deposit bases. And what we've seen thus far is their asset side of the balance sheet has repriced much more quickly than the liability side because of those strong core deposit bases. Uh, and that may be somewhat unique to them. But but even here, we are certainly watching to see if those deposit costs, what we refer to as deposit betas, um, start to creep up and, and how quickly they creep up. And that goes back to your first question, Jennifer, You know, for how long? How long are the banks going to benefit from the current environment before uh, you know, the, the margins, the margin improvements taper off, and then you know the credit costs start to kick in at a higher level? Yeah, actually, actually, the U.S. Um, is a very case, good case in point because in the U.S. we already had before the current tightening cycle, we already had a bit of a tightening cycle back in 2016, 2019, didn't we? And and, and back then. The Fed actually raised interest rates, as our listeners will remember, from close to zero to 2.5%. That was the rise in interest rates back then, between 2016 and 2019. The increase in net interest margins at American banks was roughly 35 basis points. So that was it. That was all. Uh, so the Fed had to raise interest rates by 250 basis points to get an improvement in margins in American banks, which precisely are the banks most prepared or better prepared to benefit from interest rates, to get an improvement in net interest margins of around 35 basis points. When the Fed has stopped raising interest rates, net interest margins at, at US banks started to go down. And of course, when in 2020, uh, the Fed uh, lowered interest rates, margins basically plummeted. Um, so, so I think here there's a bit of a movement, which is probably interesting, which is the fact that we usually always say that margins have a strong correlation with interest rate or with the yield curve, and, and we all understand the reasons why. But the fact of the matter is when you take the data for decades of data across banks globally, what we see is that since the end of the 1980s, there is a clear downward trend for net interest margins to go down. And that obviously means that 
interest rates do not explain the majority of that trend. It's almost like a pervasive trend that net margins have been going down regardless of the situation with, with, uh, with interest rates. So I think that's why, before I was mentioning, well, we need to be careful because when we do our modeling, for example, what we find is in, in global terms, in general terms, yes, the industry may benefit from increasing interest rates, but not all banking system and not all banks can benefit, will benefit from that because the actual relationship between margins and, and interest rates is probably weaker than, than some banks probably assume or anticipate. And, and why is that? What trends have we been seeing that's you know led to sort of declines in net uh, interest margins over time? The reason is probably is, is one of those unknowns because um, what we see is a clear trend. And, and then probably what you have is a range of, of factors. For example, very often it's said that fragmentation, competition, uh, regulatory costs, et cetera, et cetera, driving also that negative trend. So uh, I don't deny our modeling doesn't rule out the possibility that interest margin, uh, net interest margins are also driven by interest rates. But what the models point is to a small magnitude, a small effect on net interest margins. Because when you see that kind of, when you plot that data point, uh, is when you see clearly that starting in 1980s, for advanced economies that start, interest margins start at 350 basis points. And at the end of 2020, that was 150 basis points. So it's a huge decline. And when you see is that interest rates go up, go down, the yield curve goes steeper, flat, negative, whatever, there is very little changes in the average of those of those banks that we use in that in that research. In the US, we're seeing, you know, the banks need to spend and invest and that's really increasing cost too and maybe that's also having an effect on on their profitability yes absolutely if i could just go back real quick to the interest rate point you know two two other things uh maybe to highlight one is uh and this particularly since the financial crisis uh and Hori touched on regulatory costs you know one, one aspect of the regulatory response in the financial crisis was uh, requirement that banks hold more liquidity. So LCR ratio came into being and other things. Uh, and those larger liquidity pools obviously mean banks are holding comparatively lower yielding assets relative to loans. So that, that might be a little part of it. Uh, and the other part of it is is specific again to the US banks. Uh, a lot of the deposits, as I mentioned before, um, are quite cheap. Those tend to be the operational accounts. So we're on a consumer side where you know our main operating accounts where, where we get paid uh, as as employees. Uh, corporations have operating accounts that they use to fund their operations. Those operating accounts tend to be uh, relatively low cost for the banks, meaning they don't pay much interest on them. Uh, so the absolute level of interest rates therefore matters. And in the tightening cycle that Jorge mentioned in kind of 2015, 2016, 2017, absolutely rates moved up, but not as high as they're moving or we expect them to move now. Uh, so the, to the extent they can keep those cheaper deposits cheap, that, that will help the margin do a little better than it did that last time around. I suppose one of the differences with this tightening cycle is, is the very sharp increases in interest rates. What uh, effects are we worried about with the, the sharp increases? Well, as I mentioned before, the outlook is weaker and the uh, rapid rise in increases in rates really brings to, to the fore the question about debt affordability. Uh, so how many loan clients uh, can handle uh, the increase the increase in their uh, debt service obligations? Uh, and that will unfold over time. 
if we get the economic slowdown at the same time that debt affordability is becoming more challenging, uh, that's going to compound the problem. Uh, so I think, you know, the very rapid rise and kind of the reset from really zero rates for a long period of time to something a lot higher than that and a lot higher, frankly, than a lot of these uh, businesses and consumers have had to deal with uh, for a while uh, is a challenge. Uh, and then, of course, the, the input costs that, that uh, businesses pay and the, the inflationary aspect of uh, the, the economic background are, are all a challenge, ultimately, uh, for repayment capacity. Are banks worried about recession risks? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're pretty much across the board uh, more cautious on, on the outlook. Uh, and you hear in their uh, earnings calls uh, talking about putting a greater weighting on downside scenarios as they think about their economic modeling and what it means for their reserve levels. We're not projecting a large increase in unemployment. Uh, should we take some comfort in that, Jorge? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, I think that the uh, consensus about unemployment is that even though there is a slowdown or in Europe a recession, and, and we are projecting a recession for Europe, uh, I think the, the, the assumptions, the consensus assumptions uh, is that uh, unemployment is not going to increase uh, significantly. And, and this to me is going to be the, the key part about the impact on banks, because we know that unemployment rate is probably the best proxy for non-performing loans and therefore for uh, loan losses. So if economies are right, uh, then probably this kind of recession slowdown, recession is some countries are slowed down in others, it's going to be uh, mild uh, for banks in terms of non-performing loans. But if for whatever reasons, uh, unemployment rate um, goes up more significantly, that's when probably this is going to have a bit more of an impact. And, and I think that this is a key point because in the consensus, we do not see a big increase in, in, in the forecast for unemployment rate. And I think that the line assumption is that the adjustment in the labor market it's going to be through prices rather than quantities. In other words, it's going to be through real wages rather than quantities jobs. So economy, if economists are right, that's going to be a small increase in unemployment rate. But if, for example, the adjustment in, in the labor market is, is, done, is done through quantity, through jobs, because uh, real wages are not affected by the, uh, by the shock, then probably we'll shoot at, we will need to add an extra three or four percentage points to the unemployment rate that we are considering now. And of course, an extra three or four percentage points of unemployment rate, that definitely will have a significant impact on banks. So uh, in my view, everything relies very much on the accuracy of the forecast for unemployment rate. Yeah, that, that's great insight because it probably explains why the US bank so far uh, and I mentioned that they've increased their reserves, but just to put it in context, they have not increased them all that much um, relative to, to loans and certainly not nowhere near back to where they were at the height of the pandemic, um, because a lot of them you know, are still not expecting uh, a significant bump up in unemployment. Uh, if that were to occur or if they were to foresee that, uh, we would probably see uh more significant, perhaps much more significant increases in, in reserve levels. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not seeing that large increase in unemployment, but we do have higher inflation, rising interest rates, lower growth. You know, that draws a lot of comparisons to the 70s and 80s. Um, how is the current environment different for banks uh, now, Alan? 
So in the U.S., it, 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 it's uh, we we do get that question. It's interesting to go back and look, uh, which which I did. So from from the end of 1978 through around mid 1982, the Fed funds rate was around 10 percent. So that's a lot higher than the the levels we're talking about today, or either or even where we expect them to kind of end up. Uh, and that you know long period of time, four years roughly, that ultimately contributed to what at the time was a pretty painful double dip recession in the early 1980s. So we're not making that comparison today because that's not what we're expecting as you as you as you as you know. Um, but even then, uh, there actually weren't in terms of bank failures in the US a huge increase immediately. Uh, when we did see a big increase in failures, uh, that was actually years later. Um, pe- people, listeners will probably remember the SNL crisis, uh, which was a particular segment of, of the banking industry that w- what were known as the thrifts. And they were pretty heavily concentrated in fixed rate assets like mortgages. So their margins got squeezed and increasingly squeezed. And for an extended period of time, as their deposit costs started to go up and, and stayed high, uh, there was some regulatory forbearance at the time, and a lot of them stayed afloat for a while, but eventually, you know, they, they, a lot of them buckled under and, and they also got into trouble with commercial real estate lending. So that unfolded over a long period of time. And, and as I said, we're, that's not a scenario uh, we're anticipating and we don't see at the moment. Mm-hmm. And SNLs are uh, savings and loans institutions. Right. And, and that whole sector really doesn't exist <laughs> to, to any significant extent uh, anymore. I'm going to end, as we do with all our episodes, with a lightning round question. What is something about banks that's not getting a lot of attention in the markets today? Some of the uh, bits of the banking sector that are more opaque, uh, and therefore we, we don't have as much visibility. For example, referring basically to derivatives and things like that. Uh, and, and the reason I'm saying this is because uh, we all are probably aware of the situation that has been created here in the UK with the pension uh, s- sector and, and this um, liability-driven investment. So it's one of those things that go a bit under the radar and suddenly pop up and, and have a lot of commotion in, in, in markets. Um, so you can imagine if, if that happens in the pension system, which in the pension sector, which is by definition very traditional, conservative, very plain vanilla. Sometimes I wonder if, if at some point uh, something similar could happen in, in banks. And also very related to that with the perception from markets and from market participants about those kind of opaque things. And Alan? Well, I'll give you one positive on, on, on the U.S. side, which is, you know, we talked a lot about interest rates earlier in the podcast. Uh, and one of the consequences of rates being so low for such a long period of time is banks focused on efficiency initiatives to position them, their profitability better. Uh, and one thing in particular is the number of branches in the U.S. is down uh, about 20% actually since it peaked uh, around 2009. Uh, of course, a lot of this was was accelerated uh, with the advent of mobile banking um, and other ways to to do business with banks. Uh, but that 20% reduction is is pretty significant and really has helped banks kind of control their costs while you know, rates were low in particular, and you know, that should help them going forward. Of course, they have you know, rising costs in, in some other areas. Uh, and of course, they're putting a lot of those savings back into technology and innovation. But that 20% reduction in branches is pretty significant and maybe doesn't get a whole lot of uh, attention. So we have to worry about opacity, but uh, banks have been pretty good at uh, the cost management. Jorge, Alan, thanks so much. That's all the time we have for today. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Wong, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture. 
for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.